We worship you this morning, Lord. We declare together that it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. At the center of it all. Sing it. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world. Well, my friends, I had to bring out the old heavy Bible this morning. I was just looking at this thing. I tried to take real good care of this one because it, uh, this one has been with me through uh, Bible college and seminary and uh, the list goes on. And I just looked in this thing this morning and I guess I got this uh, on, on the celebration of my baptism in 1991. Isn't that cool? That gives you an idea how old I am. Nonetheless, I... Uh, I was looking, and I think one of the things that I'm excited about is that we're going to be jumping into a whole new series on the book of Colossians. So from now until the next couple months to come, if you just want to keep reading Colossians every week, that'd be fantastic, because within the book of Colossians are some pretty neat subjects that impact us, and I think when you see some of the things that we're... I'll give an overview today, but I think when we actually look at it, we're going to be blown away by how much stuff that they go through that we still go through like it was penned today. Have you ever had that frog in your throat or that uh, heavy heaviness in your chest when you hear or you get a phone call from the school or from the police that your child may be in the office or maybe in the back of a police car and you feel that shallowness of breathing, that uh, fluttering of your heart and you're not very excited about what comes next? Has your kid ever gone off the rails? I remember at at baptism, actually, that we not only got baptized, but we had to have a witness. So a witness was somebody that just, Andrew would stand up and say, yeah, I've seen Steve grow in his relationship with Christ. Uh, It's been neat. I've seen this maturing, blah, blah, blah. So they would give testimony. So I was hoping that a, a guy by the name of Derek would help me with that. He got baptized, and he was living for the Lord and navigating um, adolescence. And then I remember sitting in that narrow hallway which led to my room to the back right and we were sitting on my little matchbox bed, a little single, springs poking through and uh, there he was talking to me about some doubts and some failures that were really starting to envelop him. And I do remember pretty much saying, Derek, this isn't a great time because I actually need you to be strong because I'm about to get baptized and I hear that when you finally get baptized, then sometimes it feels like the heat is on because you're stepping forward in obedience and perhaps there's more temptation or perhaps the devil goes, oh yeah, you want to stand up for Christ? I'm going to make things a little tougher on you. And I remember listening and watching Derek and sure enough, after that, he continued to derail and his life was one of those that I really couldn't have as an example too much after that. Well, if you can put yourself in the, in, in the uh, mindset of a parent, if you can put yourself in the mindset of even hanging out with Derek and seeing him go off the rails, 
then I think you have a good picture of what Paul was feeling when he was writing to the church in Coloss. Because stuff was going on here. He was excited because it was a church plant, a newer church, and it was in a really cool area, an area almost like this, in the way that lots of money flows through Vancouver. It's a port city. There's uh, major highways that, that go through. But with that also comes a whole lot of new ideas, a whole lot of new deceptions, a whole lot of more philosophies. So then when you've actually committed yourself to truth, it's pretty hard to stick with it because there's so many cute, fuzzy ideas out there, bright, shiny objects that I just got to check this out too. So that's kind of what we're looking at is Paul kind of being a parent, a guy that has believed and done other things. And now he's watching as this church in the Colossians time here is starting to dabble with stuff that's taking them off true north. And I think it has a lot of cool stuff to say to us today. So before we jump in, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. And we're pumped to be here together and to open up a whole new series on a book that's so relevant for us today. What was going on with the Colossians? What was going on with this city church that lots of people came to know Christ in these areas, but it was tough to stay true north? It was tough to really know the truth and that the truth could set you free because so many different ideas were swirling around in their hearts and their heads. So Lord, if we're there today, which I think all of us are at some point, that you would encourage us this morning to realize that this is a problem or an issue or a concern that has happened throughout all of history, that even those that seek to be faithful and want to hold tight to you sometimes stumble and fall and trip over a speed bump because there's so many things out there that grab our attention that want to derail us. So if somebody's like Derek this morning, on the, tempted to be derailed or feeling that their faith is uh, ebbing away, I ask that you'd strengthen them this morning and that this whole series would encourage them to stay the course and that it would strengthen their faith. Father, if, if folks are in here like the people in Corinth that are, or people in the Colossians' time, that they are perhaps struggling with temptation of different philosophies and deceptive uh, lies and all that stuff, I just pray that you'd open our eyes, that you would touch our ears, that you would help us to have sensitive consciences and a, a connection with the Holy Spirit of God, that we would know the voice of truth and we would go toward it, and we would continue to be set free in the name of Jesus. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So as I was looking at this, I pulled out my old Bible, and within all these highlights and stuff like that, I tried to get another grasp on the whole book of Colossians. And when I look back at it, my old prof, he figured that chapter 1, there's four chapters, chapter 1 would be Christ and creation, chapter 2 would be Christ and and the church, and chapter 3 and 4 would be Christ and the Christian. When I looked at a different author, they would say that the first chapter would offer us the supremacy of Christ, so God or Christ is supreme in creation, therefore he continues to be supreme in all of his creation. Nothing, nothing, nothing can trump Jesus Christ and his power and care for his world. That's the first chapter this person would say. The second one would be, living out our new life in Christ. 
Uh, number Chapter 3 would be putting on our new self, and chapter 4 would be proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Some of the power verses here, if, I hope you've got your Bibles today, and if you don't, next time bring them. So some of the power verses within Colossians would be Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29. Listen to this. He is the one, we, or we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy that Christ so powerfully works within me. So then, in chapter 2, we have a power verse, and it says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thanks, thanks, uh, thankfulness. In chapter 3, a power verse would be, So then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly stuff or earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And chapter 4, power verse would be 4 verses 5 to 6. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So if you didn't catch those, I can give them to you later. But these are verses that if you really want to take Colossians seriously and know what's in Colossians, which I think would be a fantastic um, book of the Bible to put in our toolbox, especially when we're dealing with doubt, uh, these are four or five verses that I would say would just be tremendous for us to memorize so that we can have them hidden within our hearts when stuff seems to be going not so good for us. I already mentioned that in the time that this is written, the church was located in an area, and in fact, at this time, it would have been a bigger city, and pretty soon, because of all sorts of things that happened, like economics and an earthquake and all that other stuff, pretty soon we know that Colossus is gone now, but at this time, it was a major city, therefore, with a major city comes major culture. With this city came a temptation for the church to have a Jesus plus kind of a mentality. There was all sorts of cool stuff out there. And in fact, they're all coming from different backgrounds. They're, in, they're invited and come into this relationship, this introduction to Jesus Christ. But then all of a sudden, some of the old stuff and some of the new stuff comes in and it sounds pretty good. And what the temptation is, is to have Christ at the center, but then to add these cool things, uh, these new things and some of these old things to maybe chub it out and make it a little more interesting than just have Jesus as your true north. But before we go on, let's look at our major portion of scripture today um, that we're going to center on, and that is chapter 1 of Colossians. And we're going to start at verse 1 and go all the way to verse 7. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and faithful sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for, that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven 
and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Go back a couple verses and how interesting this is. It says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. That, to me, is also a power verse within chapter 1, where it really shows us the growth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's growing and ever-expanding, and not only that throughout the whole world, but also within us, that it's bearing fruit and will continue to bear fruit. Paul's writing this probably from a prison in Rome. He spent about two years under house arrest. So he's written this along with other books like Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. So house arrest would be kind of that he's not a permitted to go somewhere or he's under house arrest, but people can still visit him. So that's the prison epistles, and this was one of them. Colossae, or this church here, was near Laodicea, and we know Laodicea had a few bucks and was, again, economically sound, shall we say, and it was, it was likely written about A.D. 58, to AD 62 in there somewhere. One of the main characters that you figured out is Paul. And Paul was Saul. Remember that guy who, who uh, was zealous? He figured that his religion was worth dying for almost, so he, 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 got, he was so zealous about it that he came up with a plan and he got all the paperwork and legalities so that he could actually go out with his posse and gather up people of the way or this new found faith, the Christ ones or Christians, and he could beat them, throw them in prison, and oops, if they died along the way, too bad, so sad. And Jesus met this guy in a powerful way. He fell off his horse or he fell down on his knees, and there he was blinded, and it was Christ talking to him. And from that day on, he met Jesus in such a powerful way that that same zealous guy became zealous now in a passionate relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. That's the guy that's writing this with the help, obviously, of Timothy, who's probably penning it. So here he is, Saul, a, who was a proud teacher of the law, now was burdened for his children or for this church that we see as he's writing in the book of Colossians. It's a classic Paul. We know that he's written this book because he's first of all, says that he's written the book, so you don't have to be much of a student to figure that one out. But then also he uses the classic stuff like grace and peace be with you. And that's a classic Paul thing. He, he uses that. And the salutation concludes with words of blessing, grace to you and peace. And the words grace is actually a common Greek greeting, and it, but it's also distinctly Christian. And in the New Testament grace, what it means is unmerited favor by God in Christ to bridge the gap between himself and God. So when somebody says to you, grace, or let's say grace, think about how chubby that word is. In the New Testament saying, the grace is the unmerited favor by which God in Christ bridges the gap between himself and you and me. Unmerited favor. So when he says grace and peace, Peace, he says, 
is also borrowed really from the Old Testament, which is the word shalom. But when I say peace to you, you think, eh, it's just like a chill out word or it's just like a lovely salutation. That's why sometimes even in texts or, or sometimes even in phone calls, I'll say to somebody, shalom. And I don't totally understand shalom, but what I want to do is get people to pause, that it's not just peace or peace out or have a good day. Shalom is that sense of expressing a total well-being or a total wholeness, that God is interested in peace when it comes to your emotions, when it comes to your physical life, when it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your intellect. He is so terribly interested in all of you. So when Paul comes, he says, grace, unmerited favor to you, and also shalom. Expressing a total well-being, a wholeness to us. Really exciting. Within the book, too, another major character would be Epaphras. And Epaphras sounds like a convert to Christianity, and he was probably converted from paganism in the, back, in the background. His name is short for Epaphroditus, which comes from the Greek name Aphrodite, which is the Greek goddess of love. So that's uh, Epaphras coming from that background. Who are the Colossians? I'm glad you keep asking these questions. Who are the Colossians? Well, a relatively young church planted in a lucrative area when the area of Coloss was flourishing. It's kind of interesting because several details here would probably tell us that the people that he's talking about in this church don't have a Jewish background, but they actually are from a Gentile background. So basically they're coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, sometimes religious backgrounds or no religion at all, but mostly not from a Jewish background. And you see that because there's very little reference to the Old Testament because a, a place like Matthew where he's talking to Jewish people, uh, he's going to use the Old Testament a lot because these people have been schooled in the Old Testament. Here he's talking to folks that have come to Christ without a whole lot of knowledge of the Old Testament. So that's kind of cool. That's who he's talking about here. And also the, the lists or the, the vices or the sins that he talks about in chapter 3 are usually more associated with Gentile folks. In most cities where Paul preached Christ, a few Jews responded along with Gentiles, and we assume, assume that's also going to be true here in the Lysus or Lycus Valley. One guy named Martin... He points this out. The way Paul identifies the addressees emphasizes a built-in tension. Literally in verse 2a, so the first part of verse 2, it reads, in, to the in Colossae saints and faithful brothers in Christ. So the wording, you guys, is very interesting that we, we jump over in English. He's actually talking about this tension that we have. So if, if I found it today, or if we were younger and I could guarantee nobody got hurt, what I've done sometimes, if I, I, I've had a, a kid in the middle, and then I'd put a big bungee cord around him, and then start yanking him this way, and, I, and then I, I'd have Arthur grab another bungee cord and put it around him and pull that way. So the kid would feel the constant tension. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what we live in? We have a constant tension. What does it mean to be a Christ one? What does it mean to want to follow Jesus? 
but also reach out to our neighbors? What does it mean to be a, a parent that wants to protect your kid, but yet also wants your kids to know how to navigate culture? You know what I'm saying? There's this constant tug back and forth, and here we're seeing the same, that that's what these guys are dealing with, and Paul nails it to the in Colossae saints and faithful brothers in Christ. The realities of the two kingdoms here. But it's implicit here in 1 verse 2. The dual environment is that of being in Colossae, but also being in Christ. We've talked about that. A few weeks ago, we talked about being ambassadors. That we're actually ambassadors. We're here for a while. This isn't it. In fact, I digress. This wasn't supposed to be part of it. But uh, first world problems here. I, I sat in the hot tub last night. Oh, what was me? And I looked up at our house, and I just thought, how often I, we, you, I don't know, we work, work our butts off to have comforts here. I don't know if you guys ever think like that. And most of the world does not have what we have. And I just sitting there thinking like, why do I put so much energy into making it so comfortable for me and my children? Because all of us, we want things better for our children. How much better can they get? But nonetheless, we get so enamored with our comfort here that when the time comes for us to go back to where it's really good, we got too many investments and comforts here that it's hard to imagine a place that's better. That was free. So this dual environment, that's what these guys were feeling. And Paul's addressing that. So really, we could pause here and say, how about us? How does it feel to be a Christ follower and a white rocker? I could say white rocker because how do I say, how does it feel to be a Christ follower and a langlier? That doesn't sound any good. White rocker, right? But how do, you, uh, how do we do that? How do we live in white rock yet be a Christ follower? And one of the things we batted around the other week was, well, am I a plumber that happens to be a Christian or am I a Christian that happens to be a plumber? So I think if we're honest, all of us deal with this tension and it sometimes feels like we have bungee cords wrapped around us pulling us every which way. And sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes we fall flat on our face. Sometimes we totally screw up a witnessing opportunity. Sometimes we totally botch it with our children and wonder how they're ever going to turn out. I don't know. But these guys too, and Paul was acknowledging, you guys, we live in this environment where we're strapped about with bungee cords. And it is hard to deal with this tension but we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Some commentators point out that a number of issues that the church was fighting against were shrouded in aspects of heresy. So here they had the good news of Jesus. They came forward and they received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But then there's all sorts of stuff creeping in. And a lot of it, which we talked about last week too, was shrouded in half-truths. Remember we talked about last week that it's not always going to be obvious when we trip over a lie or trip over false teaching or trip over something that's an absolute sin in our lives and is just going to take us down. Some commentators are pointing out that many of these heresies were happening in this church and they were very subtle. This commentator goes on to say, folks were infiltrating the church trying to get 
those that were free in Christ to get wrapped up again in legalism and ceremonialism. Legalism and ceremonial, strict rules about what they should eat, the, the ceremonies they should keep, and how to keep them, religious festivals, circumcision, and all that. It's all about Jesus plus stuff. And let me tell you, before we laugh at these guys, I know what they're talking about because especially when f- things feel hazardous in our lives or when there's a big upheaval, what's the first thing we want to run to? Stability. And you will know what I'm talking about. If that stability was a poor relationship for you, if that's poor, if that stability was alcohol for you, if that st- stability was you used to go to a church that said, do this, do this, do this, and you will be saved, that's what we're tempted by. Don't you agree? And I think, I don't know, Proverbs says, like a dog that goes back to its vomit. I think that's the same thing for us when we're in these situations where we don't know. We like comfort, or we like similarities, or we like familiarity of what used to happen. Because it brings us some kind of power or some kind of semblance of, okay, everything's okay. And that's the temptation that was going on here. Folks were infiltrating the church, saying, yeah, praise the Lord, but did you attend the festival last week? Or have you, I see you have a little boy. Did you have that little boy circumcised? You know, and they go on on stuff like this. And they were trying to bring in half-truths. It's probably safe to say that the temptations of this church were coming from sort of a hybrid of strict or extreme Judaism and also, because of the, the, the data it was written, there was, it was in the early stages of Gnosticism. Somebody comments, Gnosticism was perhaps the most dangerous heresy that threatened the early church during the first three centuries. Influenced by such philosophers as Plato, Gnosticism is based on two false premises. First, it espouses a dualism regarding spirit and matter. Gnostics assert that matter is inherently evil and spirit is good. As a result of this presupposition, Gnostics believe anything done in the body, even the grossest of sins, has no meaning because real life only exists in the spirit realm. So play that out in your head. So as long as the spirit, if it's all about the spirit, I can do whatever to this body or to your body. Yikes. Where does it end? The second thing that this guy points out is Gnostics claim to possess an elevated knowledge or a higher truth known only to a certain few. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Gnostics claim to possess a higher, power, a higher knowledge, not from the Bible, but acquired on some mystical higher plane of existence. Gnostics seem, see themselves as a privileged class elevated above everybody else by their higher and deeper knowledge of God. Think about that for a second. Now, going back to the verses that I said, the power verses from 1, 2, 3, and 4, he is actually battling people that were at the beginning stage of his Gnosticism who think that we can separate our spirit from our bodies Secondly, that there is a hierarchical value that God loves me more because I know I've been to this mystical place where I know more than you people. Very interesting stuff here because when Christ comes, 
all that's shattered. You have no religious hierarchy. You have no race that's better. You have no language that's superior. Like, it's mind-blowing what Christ is doing here. And he comes, all of a sudden, everybody, whether you are sweeping streets or if you're in Ottawa in politics, you're on the same level. So that's some of the things that are going on. Another one is ascetism, uh, defined as a severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. It's the doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and stuff like that. Another thing that was creeping into that church is a um, deprecation of Jesus Christ as Lord and his supremacy, questioning, like back in Genesis, did... God really say not to eat from the fruit of that tree? I mean, if you do, you'll know just as much as God. Isn't that kind of interesting that when you really boil down a lot of the philosophies today, we're really trying to say that we're on the same level as God. I mean, I had, I had a great conversation not so long ago from a guy with a Muslim background who's even kind of thrown that off because no, what, what I really believe is this, 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 and this, and this, and this. I'm going like, what? Like, how do you do that? All of a sudden, you make up your own religion. That, to me, sounds a little bit like you're setting yourself up as God. Again, what we've touched on a bit is a secret knowledge, pointing toward a secret knowledge of Gnosticism, that uh, I'm better than you because I have this knowledge that was given to me in some kind of heavenly mysticism or bringing them back to a reliance on uh, human wisdom or human tradition. But listen to this. In verse 6, and I think this is one of the purposes of why he writes this book, he says, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understand God's grace. Let me ask you a question. Do you truly understand God's grace? Because if you totally get it, I want to talk to you. Because it's huge. So in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit, so it's growing and it's constantly bearing fruit like a tree that's healthy and it's growing throughout the whole world, breaking down barriers, putting people on the same level, just as it's been doing among you since the day you first heard it and truly understood God's grace. To me, that sounds living and active and moving. Therefore, if you've heard the gospel once and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, is that enough? And the people said, no. That's what you're supposed to say. So you've heard the gospel once. Is that enough? No. Thank you. Yeah, it's a constant growing thing because it's alive and active. Guy goes on to say that in verse 6, the apostles thanksgiving moves from an experience in the gospel to expansion of the gospel in the whole world, the whole cosmos. And he goes on to talk about the gospel is not like flowers that regress after producing seed pots. It keeps on bearing fruit. It keeps on bearing fruit. And guess who died this week? Uh, Billy Graham. Now there's some fruit that'll keep on growing for a while, don't you think? 99 years old. And that guy's been preaching for, from 16 or something like that. Unbelievable. Hundreds of thousands of people that have heard of or come to Christ because of his faithfulness. It's fantastic. The gospel is growing. 
The phrase that follows among yourselves could refer to inner spiritual growth. So it's talking about here in verse 6 that yes, we have personal growth. But more than that, when we grow personally, I think we will continue to grow as a church or the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to grow as because we're spilling out onto others and they're spilling out and they're spilling out and they're spilling out. Anyway, I know I've thrown a ton at you, but this is just supposed to be an overview. And I know the sun is shining and some of you are kind of looking like kitties. You're about to curl up and nap. But I'm hoping that there's something here where you're going like, okay, Paul knows what he's talking about even though this was written so long ago that he could have written it today for us here in Vancouver because we too are tempted by a whole lot of knowledge. We're tempted by self-help. We're tempted by, oh, what was that? Squirrel. New shiny bright objects, right? All sorts of stuff like that. And then we're tempted by, is Jesus really true? We're tempted by, well, I think he's probably true, but it wouldn't hurt to add a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Mormonism, a little bit of this, a little bit of Steveism, whatever it might be. Add, add, add. You guys, what somebody pointed out so wisely is Colossians is messing with people because the discovery that the gospel is for all people caused growing pains in the church. When people ask sometimes about our church, I just say, well, you should maybe ask a parishioner because I don't know, I'm just seeing it from my, my perspective. But one of the things that I say is I think our, our church is pretty healthy. And why I mean that, because we're very intergenerational. We love kiddos and we love old kiddos. We have grown with people that have white-collar jobs. We've grown with people that have blue-collar jobs. We've grown with people that are out of work. We've grown with people that are in AA, NA, people with mental disabilities and mental illness and all that stuff. And I just go, I think that's good because we're just not... 30 to 40 year old white people with two kids, double income or whatever. I think it's awesome that this is kind of what we're talking about. The gospel leaps over any kind of boundary of language, any kind of boundary of culture, any kind of boundary of social class. And this church even here is feeling the growing pains of, boy, this is odd, this is weird, this, how, how do we do this? How do we do this? It's an invitation for all. And there's this fantastic poem written by Frederick W. Faber in 1862, so only some of you will remember that. He says this, There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There is a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. But we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. Isn't that good? The Christian church still struggles with implications of this. All the saints. All the saints. And folks, Jesus is still reaching out to everyone with this incredible love that he died on the cross for our sins. And it's still growing in us and it's going over boundaries, language, and culture, and it'll continue to bear fruit worldwide. Now, with those two thoughts in mind, last question for you. What would happen if we caught a bigger glimpse and understanding of Jesus' grace and power in our lives? What would happen?
what would happen if folks in White Rock, Langley, Surrey, Vancouver would start to see this little church filled with individuals that care deeply for one another and care to know the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ and how that impacts our parenting, our studying, our hobbies, our relationships, and beyond. What would happen? So your assignment this week is to read Colossians over and over so that we can jump into this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word, and I thank you for the book of Colossians. I think it offers us so much, and I would just ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd even today just give us this reminder that thank God you sent Jesus Christ because it's the grace that has jumped over any boundary, any economic status, any language, any background to save a guy like me, to save people like us. Lord, we commit ourselves to growing and being a part of the process that more and more people can come to Christ and bear fruit in the name of Jesus. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From of your church Jesus be the center of your church and every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess you Jesus